Back in episode 16, I talked about the small frogs that are called spring peepers. And when I took you on a hike in episode 29, I briefly told you about a small species of toad that's common in my area, the fowler's toad. Now today I want to get into more detail about not only fowler's toads, but a few other species of toads and frogs. Specifically, I want to focus on two species of toad, the American toad and the fowler's toad, and four species of frogs, green tree frogs, Cope's gray tree frogs, cricket frogs, and pickerel frogs. Mainly because the thing these species have in common is that they're all found here at Dispatches HQ. In fact, I came home after dark the other night and I found myself dodging American toads on my driveway, and pickerel frogs show up in my chicken run almost every night in the summer. Now, normally we associate frogs with water, but in my case, the nearest permanent body of water is just a small farm pond, and it's about half a mile away. So, what's the deal with these frogs? Well, let's find out. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. Before I get into the specific species of toads and frogs, I want to answer the question that's probably really on your mind right now. What's the difference between a frog and a toad? Well, if you want to get all scientific-y, there's not one. All toads are frogs. They fall under the same scientific order, a neura. But while toads are technically frogs, there are some things that generally set toads apart from other frogs. And from here on out, when I say frog, I'll be referring to the non-toad frogs. Now, the first thing that sets them apart is the obvious one, their skin. Toads tend to have very bumpy or warty skin, although they're not actually warts and you will not get warts from touching them. Now, some frogs have bumpy skin too. Now, maybe not as bumpy as a toad's, but still, bumpy versus smooth skin is not necessarily a definitive indicator. A better indicator is whether their skin is moist and slimy or dry. Frogs tend to have moist-looking or slightly slimy-feeling skin. This is because they produce a waxy secretion that helps keep their skin from drying out, and even acts as a microfungal and a microbial layer that helps keep them healthy. But frogs need a damper environment to prevent them from drying out. In contrast, toads have drier, wartier, and therefore more waterproof skin, and that lets them live in drier habitats like fields, woods, and gardens. Now, body shape can also help you tell them apart. Generally speaking, but again there are exceptions, frogs tend to be longer and leaner than toads. When a frog's hind leg is stretched to full length, it will be longer than the head and the body combined. These long legs give them the ability to take leaps that are longer than the length of their own bodies. Toads, on the other hand, tend to be stouter and move by very short hops or even crawling. On something of a side note, both frogs and toads lay their eggs in water, but their eggs are fairly easy to tell apart. Frogs lay eggs in large, round clusters pretty near the surface. They're generally easier to see than toad eggs, which are laid in long strings often wrapped around tall grass on the water's edge or even over some leaves. So now that I've told you how toads differ from other frogs, let me touch on some ways that all frogs, including toads, are similar. I'm going to start by looking at their skin again. Toads may be wartier, but all frogs, including toads, 
have glands along the head and the back that produce secretions. In frogs, these include the waxy secretions I mentioned earlier, but in both frogs and toads, these secretions can include defensive compounds to repel predators and can range from simply bad tasting to downright toxic. A bad tasting secretion can make a predator drop the frog or toad. A slow-acting toxic secretion may teach the predator to avoid that species in the future. In some cases, these secretions can actually be deadly. The other way in which all frogs are similar is in their diet. Members of the order Anura are carnivores that catch their prey with sticky tongues. Some species of frog actually have teeth, called maxillary or vomerine teeth, that help hold prey still. These teeth are located on the roof of the mouth and are not used for chewing. In fact, frogs and toads tend to swallow their food whole, which means the size of the prey usually depends on the size of the frog. Frogs, of course, primarily prey on insects, but the largest frogs and toads in the world will eat mice, small birds, baby turtles, baby snakes, and even other frogs. Whoever said it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world was off by a couple of letters. Interestingly, frogs and toads need to sense motion to trigger them to strike. A frog surrounded by dead insects will starve. Okay, so let's take a closer look at some specific toads and frogs. The most common toad you're likely to encounter is the American toad. American toads are medium-sized, reaching about two to three and a half inches in length. Skin color generally depends on habitat, the goal, of course, being to blend in and stay camouflaged, but it can also change due to temperature, humidity, and stress. They can be yellowish to brown to black and solid-colored to speckled. Examine an American toad closely and you'll see that they have spots, each one of which contains one or two warts, and also enlarged warts on the lower leg below the knee. American toads need a semi-permanent freshwater pond or pool with shallow water to breed, lay eggs, and for the tadpoles to develop. Here at Dispatches HQ, that comes in the form of lingering pools of water from snowmelt and spring rains. They also require dense patches of vegetation for cover and hunting. Given these two things and a steady supply of insects for food, American toads can live almost everywhere, ranging from forests to grassland. Interestingly, like many amphibians, American toads display what's called breeding site fidelity, which means they'll return to the ponds they hatched in in order to breed. That also means that they're likely to encounter siblings as potential mates, but American toad siblings rarely mate. In fact, these toads seem to recognize and actively avoid close relatives as mates. Vocalizations by males serve as cues that let females recognize their relatives. Their call is a long, high-pitched musical trill that can last for up to 30 seconds. American toad tadpoles have several ways to avoid getting eaten. They avoid predators by swimming in very shallow water, often with thick vegetation, and by swimming close together in schools during the day. They also produce toxic chemicals in their skin that discourage many potential predators. Fish have been reported dying after eating just a single tadpole, but most fish quickly learn to avoid eating American toad tadpoles. Likewise, as adults, few things will eat them since they produce chemicals that make them taste bad. 
Garter snakes and hognose snakes are two of the few animals that actively eat American toads. As for the toad, its diet includes crickets, worms, ants, spiders, slugs, centipedes, moths, and other small invertebrates. American toads can live for over 30 years. Now, I talked a little about Fowler's toads in episode 29. Fowler's toads look very much like a scaled-down version of an American toad. Fully grown, Fowler's toads average between 2 and 3 inches long. If you're not sure which one you're looking at, one way to distinguish between them is to count the number of warts per spot on their back. Fowler's toads have three or more warts in each of the spots on their back, versus the American toads one or two. But, as I mentioned in episode 29, color-wise, Fowler's toads are much more variable. They can be brown, gray, olive green, or my personal favorite, a brick or rusty red color. Adult Fowler's toads also have a white stripe down their back, and their bellies are uniformly whitish with a single dark spot. The native geographic range of the Fowler's toad is eastern North America. Their range extends from the central Midwestern states, south to the Gulf Coast, and throughout most of the southeastern and eastern U.S. and parts of southeastern Canada. They live in areas near temporary or permanent wetlands in addition to forested areas. Fowler's toads mate in late spring, especially May and June. They breed in open, shallow waters like ponds, lake shores, and marshes. The male produces a call that attracts not only females, but also other males. The calling male may actually attempt to mate with one of those males, which will then produce a chirping release call to inform him of his mistake. Male Fowler's toads' mating calls are affected by body size and the temperature of the caller. Their call is described as a loud nasal wah, lasting one to four seconds. Females are able to discriminate between variations in these calls and choose the largest available males, but males are able to alter their calls by thermal regulation to make themselves seem more attractive to females. Fowler's toads regularly hybridize with two of their close relatives, including the American toad and the Woodhouse's toad. In fact, it used to be thought that Fowler's toads were a subspecies of Woodhouse's toad, but it's been determined that they're actually a separate species. Predators of Fowler's toads include snakes, birds, and small mammals. Their color and pattern camouflage them pretty well, and they also secrete a noxious compound from the warts on their back. The secretion is foul-tasting and can actually be lethal to some small mammals. Fowler's toads also are known to play dead when threatened. Adult Fowler's toads eat insects and other small invertebrates, but unlike the American toad, they avoid earthworms. Now, interestingly, this toad has also been shown to eat velvet ants, which, if you don't know, are not actually ants, but a wingless wasp. And the sting of the velvet ant is considered to be the fifth most painful sting of any insect, which is why they're also known as cow killers, because it's been said that the sting is so painful it can kill a cow. But Fowler's toads don't seem to mind. Pretty hardcore, little buddy. Okay, now let's talk about frogs. Here at Dispatches HQ, in just our three acres, we have identified four species of frog, in addition to the two toads and the spring peepers that I've already told you about. Two of these frogs are species of tree frog, green tree frogs, and Cope's gray tree frogs. 
Green tree frogs are a medium-sized frog, getting up to about two and a half inches. While usually green, at least on their back, hence the name, they actually come in a variety of colors from yellow to green to gray. These frogs are found in the central and southeastern United States, ranging from the eastern shore of Maryland, Delaware, and southern New Jersey to southeast Florida and as far west as central Texas. Now, according to Wikipedia, quote, green tree frogs prefer habitats with plentiful floating vegetation, grasses, and cattails, and are often found in small ponds, large lakes, marshes, and streams, and also backyard swimming pools. And this is why Wikipedia is never my definitive source. I've mentioned, with the exception of my hot tub, we don't have any of these things here at Dispatches HQ. Now, according to the Virginia Herptological Society website, juveniles will often disperse into wooded hillsides and open fields. They also noted that they were frequently found near, quote, human dwellings, unquote. Yet another website stated that they're commonly found in residential areas and landscapes with lots of trees and fresh water. Now, this is a closer description to the landscape here. Like most frogs, green tree frogs are insectivores, usually consuming flies, mosquitoes, and other small insects like crickets. One study suggested that the frog selects prey not so much by size, but, like I said, by activity level. The most active prey are the most frequently eaten. Most female green tree frogs breed once per year, but some can actually have multiple clutches in a single mating season. Breeding is known to be strongly influenced by day length, temperature, and precipitation, but the relative influence of these factors is not well understood. What is known is that the frogs generally breed following rainfall, and males call more frequently as temperature and day length increase. The call of the green tree frog is described as a bell-like sound that can be repeated up to 75 times in a single minute. Supposedly, this distinctive call has earned them the nicknames bell frog or cowbell frog. But, well, I have to admit that I went through a lot of sound files of American green tree frog calls, and this one was the most, quote, bell-like, unquote, that I could find. Now, until recently, I didn't even know we had Cope's Gray Tree Frogs here at Dispatches HQ, and then on two separate nights, we had one perched on the sliding glass door of our deck. Cope's Gray Tree Frogs are smaller than green tree frogs, only reaching about two inches long, and they're variable in color, ranging from a mottled gray to a gray-green, with a pattern that resembles tree bark. As a woodland frog species, this helps them stay camouflaged. But they also have black-marked bright orange or yellow patches on their hind legs. These areas are normally hidden and only seen when the frog leaps. This is known as a flash pattern, and it's a defense mechanism that serves to startle a potential predator and gives the frog time to make its escape. In addition, skin secretions of the Cope's gray tree frog can be irritating to the mouth, eyes, and other mucous membranes. The diet of Cope's gray tree frogs primarily consists of insects like moths, mites, spiders, plant lice, and harvestmen. They've also been observed eating snails and even smaller frogs, including other tree frogs. Cope's gray tree frogs breed from May to August. In the spring, isolated males start calling from woodland areas during warm weather about a week or so before migrating to temporary ponds to breed. There, they'll form choruses and call together, most frequently at night. 
Their call is a high-pitched buzzing trill with 34 to 69 pulses per second. Once the breeding season is over, Cope's gray tree frogs are thought to spend the remaining part of the season high in trees where they forage on insects and insect larvae continuously until winter. Speaking of winter, they are one of the few frogs that can produce an antifreeze in their blood to help them survive cold temperatures. Now, cricket frogs are one of North America's smallest vertebrates, ranging in size from about three quarters of an inch up to about one and a half inches long, really not much bigger than a cricket. Color varies widely and can include grays, greens, and browns, often in an irregular blotching pattern and with a stripe, sometimes bright green, running down the back. Unlike many of the other frogs I've talked about, cricket frogs are diurnal. They're out during the daytime. Breeding usually occurs from May through July. The males call from vegetation with a rapid, short sound like pebbles being clicked together, somewhat similar to the call of crickets, which, coupled with their size, is how they got their name. Their primary diet is, as expected, small insects, including mosquitoes. They, in turn, are preyed on by a number of species, including birds, fish, and, of course, other frogs. To escape predators, they're excellent swimmers, but more amazing, they can jump up to three feet. Now, to put that in perspective, that's like a six-foot-tall athlete jumping 144 feet, or three-and-a-half school bus lengths, from a standing start. The current world record for standing long jump is just over 12 feet. It's also been found that temperature and hydration affect how far these frogs can jump. Being hydrated and warmer lets them jump higher and farther. Lastly, we come to the pickerel frog. I frequently find these frogs hopping around in my chicken run when I go out to close the coop after dark. Pickerel frogs are medium-sized frogs, reaching a maximum size of about 3.5 inches. They're brown, copper, or green, and are characterized by distinctive square spots in two rows down the back. Like the Cope's gray tree frog, pickerel frogs have a flash pattern on their hind legs. The range of the pickerel frog is somewhat spotty. They can be found in the west from much of Wisconsin, southeastern Minnesota, eastern Iowa through Missouri, and down to eastern Texas. To the east, they extend through northern Louisiana, most of Mississippi, northern Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina to the coast, and north to southeastern Canada. They typically inhabit cool wooded streams and can be found in creeks, springs, ponds, and reservoirs, but they can also be found in wooded wetlands, bogs, and shrubby open meadows. They can also be found in caves and abandoned mines, but they can't complete their life cycle there. The front toes of the pickerel frog are not webbed, which helps pickerel frogs be more fit for a terrestrial life. I mentioned earlier that most frogs can produce secretions that are toxic or distasteful, and while the secretions of the fowler's toad can potentially be fatal to some animals, the pickerel frog is considered the only true poisonous frog native to the United States. Its skin secretions can cause irritation if they come in contact with the eyes, mucous membranes, or broken skin, and can be toxic to many predators, including other frogs. That said, these toxins don't stop all predators. 
Green frogs, bullfrogs, northern water snakes, eastern ribbon snakes, and common garter snakes will all prey on pickerel frogs. Pickerel frogs generally breed in the mid to late spring. Males initiate breeding by emitting a low-pitched call and are known to call while submerged. This call has been described as a low-pitched snore, sounding like yow, which lasts one to two seconds. And that, my friends, is the note on which we'll end this episode. Thank you again for listening. Be sure to leave a like and subscribe. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to help support future episodes, maybe you'll consider becoming a patron. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash dispatches from the forest. Tiers start at just $5 a month, and you can get some pretty nice Dispatches from the Forest logo merchandise with three months of patronage. You can also follow Dispatches from the Forest on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion for future episode, feel free to send me an email. It will reach me if you send it to dispatchesfromtheforest at gmail.com. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty. But don't kiss the toads and frogs. The Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast whole or in part without express written permission.